This is episode number 52 with Yao, investor at XA Network. Welcome to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. My name is Andrew Senduk, a former banker turned tech entrepreneur. And in each episode, I interview the movers and shakers of the venture capital and investment space in Southeast Asia, with the only goal to help you discover how to raise more capital, build better companies, and to give you a better understanding of the people behind the biggest funds in the region. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now let's get started. All right, beautiful people, welcome to a new episode. Today, I am thrilled and excited to have Yao in the show. Uh, Yao, uh, we've been introduced through Jonathan from OnLife. So Jonathan, if you're listening, a big shout out to you. Um, if you've listened to this podcast many times, you know that I'm always uh, a sweet spot for, for operators slash entrepreneurs because you know, I just believe that there's, there's value in that. And I think Yao is definitely uh, fits in that category. You know, you've been doing a lot of different things, but I want to highlight a few things. Part of Infocom Investments, where you set up the U.S., uh, U.S. coverage, uh, and you were actually a colleague of uh, Ko Yi, who was also on the show who was a few episodes uh, before. Mm. Uh, early employee and, and investor at Twilio. You've been at Alibaba Cloud. Uh, we're GM there. Uh, you're an active angel investor, uh, and you're also involved with the XA network, which initially started mm-hmm. as uh, Zoogler's uh, Angels, all people from Google, but now it expanded to a broader uh, network of you know people that are interesting and want to invest uh, back into the region. Uh, Yao, welcome to the show, man. I'm happy to see you. Happy that you're healthy. How's uh, everything in Singapore? It's great, Andrew. Good to meet you. Yeah, it's, it's great to be here again. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, so so welcome. Uh, Yao, I mean, like I said, right? I mean, let's let's just take it back a bit. I mean, and I know now you're you're actively angel investing uh, on uh, on behalf of yourself, uh, but also through <laughs> through 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 the network as well. But let's just yep. let's just take a few steps back, right? Because I always love like like the 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 journey towards towards becoming an investor. And uh, mm. the funny thing, if I just look at your let's say track record, there's there's some institutional investing. And then there's, yeah, it's all there's, over the place. It's all over the place. <laughs> there's institutional investing, there, there's operating, and then there's angel investing. But maybe you can just give, give, bring us back, bring us back, let's say, to, to let's say, your first exposure to, uh, to investing and, and uh, how that came about. Yeah, I guess, you know, when it comes to venture investing, not like the public equity and all that kind of stuff, like the venture investing, angel investing side of things, uh, my first involvement with it was probably with Infocom. So that was like more than a decade ago, right? And that was Infocom Investments is a growth stage investment fund. And so like we were looking at Series B, C, D investments. And, you know, so during that time, I was looking at a lot of deals um, at first in Singapore. And then subsequently, you know, tasked to go set up the US office, right? And so obviously I was looking at a lot more like of the North America companies and deal flows and investing into companies in that part of the world. I was living there for a good five years before Mm -hmm. I moved back to Singapore. And that was kind of where I guess I dipped my toes into it. And, you know, you have to write investment memos and stuff like that. You kind of like pick up the ropes along the way. Like how should you think about a company? Obviously, it's very different at the growth stage. But along the way, you will also talk to a lot of companies that is not at the growth stage. And you also hear a lot of companies, how they grew from, you know, very, very early to becoming like a series B, series C company. And you kind of see their path. And, you know, that was kind of what, um, you know, after I left um, Infocom Investments to join Twilio, that yeah, I continued to have an interest in, you know, investing and just like, instead of investing 
through afar and you know i try i start writing small checks and that was how i got into angel investing and that's that's so amazing man and if you if you if we look back let's say in your time in the us right where it's kind of like the first exposure into into the growth stage like what was back then like what was defined as growth stage companies like what metrics were you looking at was it based on revenue was it based on on, on valuations that were that were happening back then like what was kind of like the the demographic of the type of growth stage right because i think that definition is totally out of out of uh, out of context maybe yeah now. it's very it's very different, <laughs> very different like, right? i was joking i was joking with a friend like now you you have like pre-seed and seed and then pre-a and a and so like you know in the old days that would just be a b c d exactly right? it's a, little, a little simpler and, yeah. and so like when you look at uh growth stage a lot of it is really looking at the traction of the company right have they demonstrated that, that product market fit and exponential growth right and but you can define that as exponential growth could be in terms of revenue, it could be in terms of users, it could be in terms of your know, marketplace, you know, like buyers and sellers and all that, right? It depends on what business they are in. But it's that traction of where they have demonstrated some amount of product market fit. Yeah. And you know, the ability to to scale. And that's kind of at the where where they're kind of really jumping and growing rapidly. And that's kind of where the growth stage comes in. And what, During the early stage, a lot of it is still in the product building, team yeah. building mode. Yeah, and if you look at it on number on numbers, let's say, right? So if you would have to describe these companies that back in the US as Infocom and as you know you were mm. sourcing for deals in the US, uh, like what what type of companies were they? Like, are we talking about I don't know, a hundred million in revenues or hundred million AR uh, or? Okay, so, 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 so to put this in context, like that's like 10 years back. So it's very yeah. different 10 years back. True. So we, we will, probably the companies we're looking at, they, if you are like a B2B SaaS company, they will maybe in the neighborhood of like 10 million revenue and above okay. 10, 20, 30 million revenue. Annual, you're User talking about annual revenue. Yeah. Annual revenue. Yeah. Okay. Are, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of like from a revenue perspective, that's kind of it. But uh, if you're looking at like user base, that's, it's very hard to define so clearly because it de- really depends on like we looked at everything including like companies like i remember seeing instagram right and um it was like i still remember clearly it was like 500 million valuation at that point in time they were acquired for slightly over a billion yeah right? yeah and then it was like 500 million and i was like wow I was like and then but their user growth was tremendous yeah right yeah. and and it was very clear that they were uh, onto something rapidly yeah and we were it was quite a bit bigger like valuation wise than what we typically write into and so we were wondering like you know is this too late for us and all that so that will like that will be kind of the upper bound as yeah. an example yeah 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 so so interesting right because you've you've seen let's say the paradigm of let's say 10 plus years ago of the definition of a growth stage company, right? And you talk about let's say 10 million AR for for B2B SaaS companies, for example. Uh, but then those those eyes that have seen the market, of course, 10 years ago and that have seen the valuations that are happening 10 years ago, with the same eyes you're looking at today's market, right? Where mm. in today's market, there's there's a quick a quick commerce startup in India who's like eight months old, just raised $100 million, right? Mm-hmm. Like what what is, how do you see that? Like what what what, if you observe those trends, like what is kind of like your... Is there a conclusion or you just observe it? It's like, yeah, that the market is bigger. So it's, 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 it's normal. 
or do you have any worries on these inflated valuations happening yeah, from early stage? I, I, I think it's quite different, like times. Like so, so if you, um, you count when I started dipping my toes into venture investing, that was like 2010, right? Like you think about 2010, what is 2010? 2010 was like two years after the financial crisis, right? And so there was a lot of apprehension, especially in the US, right? In terms of like coming into this very risky asset class, which is venture investing, angel investing. And like, I remember companies like including Twilio, Twilio was like struggled to raise the first check, right? Mm. Um, and so a lot of companies were doing down rounds, which is like- Never like, good I think here. a lot of people, yeah, like, it's unheard of like this to see down rounds, but I was seeing a lot of down rounds actually mm. during those years, right? Mm. Companies were raising, especially if they're raising, they raise a lot of money and they are raising their you know series E, series F round, and you know, they need the cash flow injection to survive, but at the same time, nobody was willing to come in at the close to last round valuation, right? And so we we're seeing all these down rounds that are happening. That was the environment at that point in time, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And now it's a very, very different um, story. There's a lot more capital in the market chasing deals. There's a lot more specialization as well, um, not just from a vertical like, sector specialization, but also from uh, you know, like looking at different, like you kind of take the stage, like early stage, and then you kind of slice it into even finer stages. Yeah. And that's why it gave birth to like pre-seed and seed and pre-A yeah. and A, right? And so like, like to me, a lot of that represents a maturity of an of a industry because you turn yeah. back the clock even further, right? Venture as an industry is not that old, right? It's yeah. like in the like fifty years maybe, yeah. right? That's when you have venture investing coming together, and yeah. and so like a lot of stuff is being invented as the as evolving as it goes, and it's just a stage of evolution that we're going through right now. Yeah, like yeah, you know, that's how I think about it. Like, I think a lot of people looked at this and they're like, oh my gosh, like, this is insane. The valuation was like this before and now it's like this. It's like, for, like during, there was a time when raising a $300 million, $500 million fund in the US was like, wow, this is a big fund. And then you had A16Z come along and say, like, oh, we got to raise a billion dollars. And then after that, obviously you have SoftBank and Kate came along and say, oh, we got to raise a hundred billion dollars, mm, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so like at every stage, like it, people look at it and like, wow, this is insane. This is like, they will never be able to make this work. But well, I think this, I think this, did. yeah, but it's, it's such a good point, right? Like it, it, this money that's been raised, right? I mean, uh, I think it's a very interesting topic, right? So let's say you raise a billion dollar fund or a hundred billion dollar fund. How, how, how can you make it work, right? That, that, is, that is a big question to kind of like uh, work on the IRR in a way that these LPs that, that allocated billions of dollars to you um, will double or triple their, their commitment in, in the next fund, right? And, and there's, there's no cap on that, right? I mean, uh, I, th- I think like you said, oh yeah, once a bar has been set, oh, it's a $500 million fund, uh, massive, like massive. No one has done that before. And then suddenly it's like, okay, 1B. And then suddenly it's like, oh yeah, the SoftBank comes by. Yeah. <laughs> it's a $100 billion fund. Like, what are, your, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, you, you've run, you, you, you know, the, 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 funniest, the funniest thing is if you, if you um, like kind of go through history and you turn back the clock, like Masa did the same thing as like way back in the 90s, mm-hmm. he did the exact same thing. <laughs> so it's not actually, he, it's not the first time he did this. Yeah, that's so true. Like, uh, that's true. The scale is different, 
Yeah. Also partly because you know we are talking about different market size. Yeah. But when he was investing into Yahoo and Alibaba and and all those companies, like he was like ten x, like fifty x of everybody else. Right. Mm-hmm. The exact same thing was happening in the nineties, and it was also like Masa was doing it. So it's pretty hilarious. That's but amazing, man. I, I think at some um you know at some level at some point there must be some breaking point, right? That it just it's just not possible for you to put so much capital into a company and expect it to work. Mm. But my personal belief is we tend to underweight the opportunity size because we are looking at like markets that are growing at exponential scale. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. It's very hard. Even like you turn the clock back ten years and you're like ask people about cloud. Right, like cloud was still a new thing at that point in time. It's something that obviously I'm, I'm more familiar with. I'll use as example. Like, so AWS came along in 2005, right? And then you ask people, oh, you know, in 2010, like, how big is the cloud industry? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what do you think it could be? Mm-hmm. Like, very hard for people to imagine. Yeah, true. It's now, like back in the smartphone days, like, yeah, true. Say, like, you know, how many smartphones will there be out there? Like, yeah. 500. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a whole new it's a whole new industry, of course, which is being birthed, right? I mean, uh, and it takes time. Yeah, and, and so the opportunity is always bigger than we imagine it to be, mm. and the capital that is raised then you know becomes deployed and actually becomes fully used because that that opportunity is so big and un- that we couldn't imagine that you would need all that capital to be able to fully yeah. you know exploit whatever opportunity that is out there in the market. Yeah, and so yeah. like, like in a lot of case, I think the tendency for us humans is to underweight the opportunity set, then yeah. overweight the opportunity set. Of yeah. course, there must be some breaking point. I just don't know where it is, but yeah, you know, I think the majority is majority of us will underweight than overweight. Yeah. That's a that's a good one. Underweight, under underweight the opportunity actually, right? Meaning meaning they're they're more on the reserved side, more on the defensive side, if they see if they see the opportunity. It's a very so, uh, behavioral economy. Exactly. Thing, right? No, no, like, I think, yeah. It's, it's if you live, like, if you, if you trade on the market and then, you know, the loss aversion effect kicks in. Like, mm. even though the, if you lose, you know, 10% versus you gain 10%, the, the negative 10% will hit you a lot harder than the then, positive 10%. Then you gain. That is so true. Right? Whoa, and so, yeah. like, humans by nature are lost, like, are, are more conservative, right? Yeah. But that's how we are equipped. That's how we survive yeah. you know, when we're okay, men, right? Because like, if you're too risky, the light eats you up. But I think yeah. it's a little different now. And the entire venture game is also very different because it's very much looking at the 10x, looking for the 100x, right? You know, the, the, the home runs and all. And you kind of have to take those bets. If mm. you look at the, the data around um, venture funds, right? The companies who do very well, the funds who do very well are also the funds who take the most risky bets. They have mm. a lot more losses as well mm. than the ones in the median range, mm. right? Who may not get as many home runs, but they don't take as many losses. Mm. And so mm. you have to take the losses mm. in order to get the home runs, right? Mm. Like, otherwise, you're not placing enough risky bets mm. to you know, have the possibility of getting the home run. But so doesn't this, this also depend on the LPs that you have? I mean, I oftentimes have these discussions with, with VCs. It's more on the topic of, okay, this is a home run game, right? But then there's other VCs who say like, okay, you know what? I'm not playing the home run game. I'm just trying to hit constantly. So maybe I don't hit like a home run, but I hit 
instead of hitting two home runs in a game and the rest is, is all out, I tried to hit like at least 50% of my, my shots. I just hit it in the field. So at least yeah. I get the points, you know, I got to get to first base. I got to second base. I got to third base. And, and they have a different way of playing the VC game because maybe mm-hmm. their LPs have a different risk appetite, uh, which allows them to say like, oh, you know what? We're not going to go for unicorn, unicorn, unicorn. We're going to go for maybe, you know, we can build this business to be a $500 million business or a $300 million business. And they came in when the business was maybe, I don't know, a million dollars. I don't know. Do, yeah. do, you, do, you see, do you see space for that type of investors? Or do you really think that if you want to be a good investor, it needs to be a home run game? I, I think in this day and age, like it's possible to be that kind of investor. So two comments on that. Uh, one, it depends on what stage you are participating in as a fund, right? I think it's harder for a seed and early stage fund to do that, partly because you know a lot of the company, like a lot of the companies you're investing in, are unproven. It's very risky. little you can yeah. go on, right? And so, mm-hmm. like naturally, by nature of the early stage nature of what you're investing in, it's gonna be a lot riskier, and therefore there will be more, like more likelihood of like runway success or dots, right? That's mm. just the nature of it. But, you know, as when the company is, you're investing in is in the growth stage or it's in the mezzanine stage, then it's a lot more mature. It's unlikely to just, you know, tank and flame and, and all of that. And so like, it's less risk involved and you're able to generate more consistent returns mm. per company, yeah. right? Yeah. The other thing is also, I think there's a lot more exit um, options these days. Like M&A is more of a thing these days in a lot mm. of places and, mm. and so like you could you know sell a company even though that may not be a runaway success you can still get you know 50 cents 80 cents a dollar two dollar back um on every dollar invested uh for a lot of these companies right like you, you talk about like equity hires like that, that wasn't a thing yeah then 20 years ago like yeah. so even if a company that was very early couldn't build a product like they could still be equity hired like engineering talent yeah it's, value yeah, right and true. and so like there's a lot more exit options these days yeah. uh, for you to be able to play that you know consistent like average per returning average on per company game yeah but that say you know if you kind of look at the it's not it's not even just the venture investing like somebody looked at the russell 5000 i think if you look at over a 50 year period or something like that the returns on something at the Russell 5000 is basically generated by f- the top 5 10 percent, mm. like 90 80 90 percent is generated by the top 5 10 percent yeah. of yeah. the company, even yeah. for public companies. That's the case. And so, if you want to be like a top tier venture company, right, a venture fund, you would need to be able to take those bets, yeah, so that you can rise above you know the three X, yeah, that you promise your LPs, right. Yeah. Yeah, so like yeah. you can deliver average return, but is that really what you want, right? It's if you want to be top tier, then you I think you would need to take those bets mm. and hit the home runs. Yeah, yeah and, yeah, and a lot of investors are that's what they're looking for, right? Mm. In LP investors, that's what they're looking for when they participate in the risky venture class, right? Yeah. Like obviously they would want to invest in a fund that can generate that kind of like five x, ten x return over 10 years right yeah so so true and when you look back at uh when you look back at your days at infocom in the us right 
uh, Infocom uh, by by nature, of course, Singaporean uh, Singaporean backed, right, or uh, or Singaporean blood in the organization, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, then entering in the U.S., uh, it was still kind of uh, it's new ground, right? I mean, you were you were spearheading the U.S. operations and U.S. coverage, so you had to look for deals. Right, you had yeah. to look for deal flow. So how how did that go about? I mean, you're 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 fresh there, as a, as a Singaporean, you come there like okay, and now and now and now what? Like uh, how did like, that? It's, yeah, that's a good question because like like it brings back painful memories of like <laughs> <laughs> like it's basically like outbound sales. I like just exactly you know, on the on the phone. Asking, calling, calling people, asking for introductions. Yeah. You know, like doing a lot of research on the company. I was driving around a lot at the time because I'll be visiting like five, six, seven. I was drinking a lot of coffee because I was, you know, (laughs) every meeting it's in a, like, if it's not in the office, it's a cafe. And then if I'm like in between meetings, I'll be sitting in the cafe. Like we didn't even have an office at a point in time. Right. And so like, I was sleeping on my friend's couch for a month, I think. <laughs> and, and so like I was going, you know, just going around, like knocking on doors, you know, trying to visit the company, trying to explain like who we are, what we do. I, I remember looking, so I was at uh, Infocom Investments for a little over four years. I remember, and, and every single company I visited, I'll write a report, right? And uh, I remember looking at it, I was like, wow, I visited, like I hit on like 5,000 companies. Like including calling and all that. And so like you kind of have to go through that number yeah. to find a jam in yeah. the haystack. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so like, you know, like I was like, just it's a grind, but you yeah. kind of have to do it. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think it's 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 amazing, man. It's amazing because it's I mean, because just, because you went through that your your uh your how do you call that? Your your radar is it's become much more sensitive, right? Yeah, so you you get to see all kinds of different companies and you kind of uh, get a sense you get develop a sense right I've, i always I always joke it's a little like being a gourmet food taster like mm. or like the singapore example i give is like eat, eating chicken rice right the first mm. day of chicken rice you eat always tastes good like i mm. never actually never ever met any, like, i have a lot of friends who come and then you know i'll, I'll bring them to eat like local food and bring them to eat chicken rice and then they'll try it i was like oh this is delicious i love this all right Nobody ever say that, oh my God, this is horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's like one of those food, I guess it appeals to everybody. But how do you differentiate between a great plate of chicken rice and a you know, average plate of chicken rice? Mm. You, know, you kind of develop that taste after you've tasted two, three hundred different plates of chicken rice from different <laughs> stores, right? And then you're like, oh yeah, so this, you know, the chicken here is a little tastier. The rice there is a little bit more fragrant. How do mm. I know? Because I have, I have sampled enough yeah. Yeah. to be able to judge, right? Yeah, so and, and so, and, and so, like I think, and it's also one of the advice I give to you know angel investors who start out. I tell them, like for the first few, like if you're just starting to in angel invest, the first few deals that come along will get you very excited because mm. it's something you have never seen before. Mm. But after you've seen like a few hundred deals, it's like oh, I think I've seen this before and I've seen that before, right? And then you know, you get a better sense of like, you know, how to calibrate. Mm. Mm. And you know, my suggestion is usually don't invest in the first 10 deals. You look at just mm. observe, mm. right? Because a very you good need one. to calibrate, Yeah. right? You haven't calibrated, right? Yeah. So, so it's the same thing, chicken rice, calibration. <laughs> <laughs> chicken rice startups, it's all the same. Hey, but if you yeah. look at, if you look at the, I, I love that point, right? Where you say like, okay, uh, let's say you visited or contacted 
5,000 plus companies in the years that you were in the US. So, uh, so let's say 1,000 companies per year, eh? uh, plus minus. Um, yeah. But those were, of course, growth stage companies. Those were more mature companies. There was a product market fit. They just needed cash to kind of like really take it to the next level. Um, some, some of the companies were not necessarily growth stage. It could be early stage companies with relationships with them, all of that. And, and so like, um, it, they vary a lot. I mean, we would just try to get to know more of the ecosystem. And the US ecosystem is big. And, it's huge, right? Right. Yeah. And yeah. so like, that's also all the VC funds, you know, there's also individuals who, who are very actively investing. Um, and then it's a lot of like, you know, two men in the garage startups as well that you want to get to know them because they're doing something really interesting. Yeah. And also just to understand. So we're like, just try and meet as many people. Like I was trying to meet as many people as I could, right? Yeah. Because not everybody wants to meet you. <laughs> no, no, no that, that's a good point. I, I think, I think, but I think the beauty of the uh, US ecosystem is that there's a lot of the, the pay it forward mindset, uh, the mentality is very mm. real. Mm. Like people would spend like an hour with you, even though like they don't know you and yeah. they might be very accomplished, but you know, they would do it just, mm. you know, because they feel like, oh, you know, like I love to see, like, I, I guess at some level, because also they're used to the fact that opportunity can come from anywhere. Yeah, that's right. True. In the tech world. And so, yeah. you know, they don't discount the possibility that, you know, something from the left view might be very interesting. And so they're yeah. we're always very willing to take that meeting. Yeah. So it's so it's a less uh snobbish than some other industries in in that sense, right? Yeah. And so like you could just hit up people and you know like talk to them and you know like learn from them and so it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Like it's a lot of people, a lot of closed doors, a lot of unanswered yeah. emails, a yeah. lot of unanswered phone calls. Like that's just the nature of it. You just kind of have to go through a grind, but you know you you can find the gem. Like that's that's better than everybody <laughs> closed the door on you. But I, I was thinking about that, but because but but you came to you came to the US as as Infocom, right? So yeah. at least there is a there's a there's a name on your name card. At least there's a story where you can say like okay, there's I don't know a couple hundred million uh, in our fund, right? And we're here to deploy, and we're here looking for opportunities. What if what if the situation was okay? Uh, it's uh, it's Yao Ventures, right? You're launching your own fund. You are quote unquote no one. Like how mm. would you how would you start then? Like uh, if if it if there's no backing, there's no big backers behind you. You got a few LPs, friends, family, uh, some fools you know, who, I, <laughs> who said like, hey, "Let's do this together. Let's do this together." I got ten million dollars. Like, how would you go about in launching that fund? I think everybody has a network, right? Mm. You kind of have to like leverage that network. So a lot of like my initial um, network was that was you know depending on like the infocom network that's yeah. one part of it yeah but also because you know i went to college there yeah. and so like i could leverage the college network mm. right um i have friends who are there you know ask friends to help out and then the people the first few people you meet you also ask them to introduce other people other yeah. interesting people that you could connect with and so like you just have to keep um leveraging the network that you have that's mm. how you get the ball rolling mm. uh, but as you broaden that network it will become bigger right it's just like how we met right yeah. it was true yeah. jonathan you yeah. knew jonathan i knew yeah. jonathan we yeah. knew each other at that point in time mm. and jonathan thought it would be great for us to meet up and that mm. was how we connected yeah right and yeah. so like now like hopping across and then finding the interesting connections yeah right? I, I like i i think it's like 
without oversimplifying it, I feel like that's kind of it, right? Yeah, I know a yeah. lot of I lot I know a lot of entrepreneurs who came from like Uruguay or you know they came from Romania and they you know been in the valley and they don't know anybody, yeah. right? They just packed their bag and literally flew there and they just go to events, go to meetups, you know, like look for people they can hang out with virtually and then ask for people to introduce them. And over time, they build that connection mm. and network and then they were able to find, find success in the valley, right? Yeah. And the same thing, it's like, you just have to put yourself out there. Yeah. But the most important thing is you have to put yourself out there. <laughs> if you yeah. don't put yourself out, which is a very Asian thing, right? Asians yeah, yeah. are very like more... Um, Modest. Like, yeah, it's like the guy sitting at the, like when doing an event, you'll be holding a drink and standing at the back, you know, against the wall, you know, trying to, you know, blend in with the wall. <laughs> right. Like, like I, I was like that too. Right. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. kind of have to force yourself to really like be out there. Mm. Um, yeah. Like I don't really, I, I don't know if it's obvious. I, I don't, I'm not a extrovert. I'm yeah. not like, I'd much read, rather read a book. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I joke like you have to learn to be a functional in, like introvert, yeah. which means when you need to like turn it on and talk to people, you do it, yeah. right? And then after, yeah. after doing it for an hour or two, if you're tired of like talking to people, go to the toilet, go and puke, whatever it is, right? <laughs> but you got to learn to develop that skill set because it's yeah. very important, especially in the world of doing business, right? Yeah, so true, so true. And when, when you look at, when you look now back, right? So you had your Infocom gig, were there for a couple of years, really learned, learned the, the, the tips and tricks of, of, of investing, even though it was kind of in growth stage. Then you kind of like moved into an operating role with Twilio back then, right? That, that was kind of like your next move. What was yeah. what was the reasoning behind that? And and then also tell me the story about you, know, you told me before, like that, that you know, you know, you knew the founder and then you, know, you, you invested also in the business. You became like one of the early investors, one of the early investors and one of the early employees. Like what was kind of like the, the context around that, uh, around that chapter? Yeah. So so Twilio um, was uh Infocom portfolio. Uh, so in 20 in 2012, like yeah. I think if I remember correctly, it was Albert. Albert Wenger from Unisquare Ventures that introduced us to uh, Twilio. It was quite funny because some years after that, after 2012, like I think 2014 or 2013, I met uh, Joshua Shoster, who started okay. Delicious. Like, okay, so people from the, like a generation ago, they will remember Delicious. It was just bookmark uh, app, like okay. that, that uh, you know, Joshua and um, Albert started together. So Albert was the CTO and then he went on to join Union Square Ventures okay. and then Joshua became a very prolific um, super angel. Like that was the term then. Like he showed me his portfolio. It was like 120 something companies in, wow. in an Excel spreadsheet, right? <laughs> and so I was like, <laughs> they were looking at the list. I was like, okay. And they were, they were joking. Like apparently he was the one who introduced Twilio to Albert. So like, oh, like closing the loop, I was like, okay, like you introduce him to Albert and Albert introduced us and then now I meet you. And then he was an angel investor in the Twilio, right? Mm. And then, um, you know, like the, the world can be so small sometimes, right? Uh, anyway, like, so, so back to the story, like, so Infocom invested into Twilio in 2012. You know, I was, I was uh, working on the deal together with Goyi and, yeah. um, so since then, you know, I've been, because I'm based there, right? So a lot of times I've been helping the company, especially with all the Asia stuff. So at that time, they had a few investors, which was basically Bessemer, Union Square Ventures, and us. 
So Bessemer is West Coast, right? Um, Union Square Ventures is East Coast. And then anything that was like Asia, you know, they were like, okay, I think you should go, you know, talk to Yao. I think he knows this a little better than we do. Like maybe it will help you a little bit more, right? And because at that time, um, Twitter was also working on a partnership in Japan. Hmm. Um, and so like it was helping them with a lot of that stuff. Um, then they were exploring Asia. Um, and so I was helping the company since 2012. And in 2014, for personal reasons, uh, I was looking to move back to Singapore, right? And, and so, you know, went to Jeff and team, told them, oh, I'm going to be moving back to Singapore. So long story short, you know, um, instead of like, you know, a buy and, you know, we grab beer sometimes, you know, kind of thing, it became, oh, you know, like, why don't you join us? And we send you to Asia and you can go figure out like, how do we, View Asia since you really know Twilio. Obviously, we've been working on it part time. You know, in terms of figuring out Asia for us, why don't you just join us and do this full time, right? And that was how I ended up joining Twilio. It was kind of a no brainer because by that time, you know, like I already I'm very familiar with the product. I know the yeah, in and out of it. Yeah. I know the good and bad of it. I know yeah. all the messy stuff. Like uh, the team knows me, so it was kind of a no brainer at that um, point in time. It was also a, you know, uh, much as I like. Uh, venture investing and investing like it's a very lonely game like mm. especially like imagine you know I was out there by myself like yeah. you know didn't really have a team um, the team was all in Singapore and so like you know it can really strain like there's a strain on you in terms of like having to figure and do everything by yourself and so even if you hire people with just a handful of people like two three four people like it, there's less of that team camaraderie so that was one of the things I was missing Right. Um, and you know, joining Twitter was an opportunity to get back into that team mode, right? And play as a team, right? As, instead of as an individual. And so it's very interesting. And it's also an opportunity to like develop, you know, my operator skills, I guess, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I like the product, I love the product. And then, you know, I remember giving this advice. I guess I took that same advice to an intern who was asking me uh, during that time. I was like, Oh, you know, like, should he, it was also a, a Singapore guy who was asking me, like, should he go back to Singapore or should he, you know, like stay here and join Twilio full time? I was like, like, without, without revealing any of that, you know, sensitive financial numbers, I was like, you know, from what I can see, like this company is, will be a rocket ship, right? Uh, and I think if you have an opportunity, you have a ticket on the rocket ship, you should just take it, right? That was yeah. like, but we didn't, we didn't know how much it would grow yeah. at that point in time. But you know, the, the company obviously was doing something right because it was scaling very nicely, yeah. right? And yeah. um, back in 2014. And mm. so I guess you know, I took my own advice and you know, I joined it. But it grew a lot bigger than I think any one of us expected. Because I, I think we were, I remember grinding beers with some of the early Twilio guys. I was like, oh, we were joking like, you know, at that time, nowadays, billion dollars is nothing. At that time, I was joking like, oh, wow, if this company like Twilio was acquired for a billion, that'd be fantastic, right? <laughs> and then, and, and, you know, that was like the mindset at yeah. that point in time. Again, yeah. coming back to the point, like it's very hard for us to imagine how yeah. big things can be, yeah. right? Even for yeah. people, like maybe especially for people who are very in it. Yeah. Right. And and uh, you know, like it just went beyond any of us understood. But that was yeah. how I ended up. That's that's, that's, that's amazing, man. I, lo I love basically it. going to Asia and and setting it. Well, it's kind of like the same thing, you know. Like 
I was going around a lot of Asia. I was traveling around Asia. So uh, for the first year, I was basically one month in Asia. And I say Asia, it's not Singapore. I was like mm. moving around a lot. Mm. Because to light up the product in for Twilio, you need to we need to build a carrier connect. Yeah. And you know, like having you know connection into one telco or one country, you know, it's just not interesting enough. Mm. Like, and so I was trying to light up the whole region. Maybe a bit too ambitious, but I'll try to light up as much of the region as I could. And so I was like, I'll go like, I remember the worst week I was uh, in Singapore and then KL and then Jakarta and then Manila and then uh, Bangkok and like five cities, like wow. five days. Wow. And then I'll just go into a city um, the night before, arrive about 9, 10 p.m., go to the hotel, shower, and then, you know, go for meetings the next day, like meeting, 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 go straight to the airport, eat, you know, my dinner there and then fly out, right? And then wow. kind of repeat the cycle, yeah. you know, like back, you know, that was, uh, you know, like what it takes to light up a region, I guess. Like, <laughs> good old times, good old times <laughs> operating. But then did you, yeah. did you also, you, you personally also wrote a check or was it only on behalf of Infocom? Oh, yeah, in, Infocom. Yeah, no, I remember yeah, that Ho Yi actually mentioned that that he, or at least as Infocom, that you guys were like early uh, early investors in uh, correct in in that round. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Yeah. Like, what a journey is that, right? I mean, that's a dream of every entrepreneur. I mean, you know, because uh, every deck will say like, oh yeah, we'll become a billion dollar company, but you know, once you, you know, you actually yeah, but it's like it's it like what, like this this old adage like overnight success takes ten years, right? Mm. So on hindsight, everything looks like you know, nice and rosy and up and to the right. But, mm. you know, it's a, it's a very bumpy yeah, road. Exactly. Yeah, the, There's no straight line, right? bumpy road. Yeah. yeah that was like, no... even for companies, you look at it as like, you know, I, I guess maybe some companies like Google and Facebook, like the ones in a generation, once in a decade mm. company, like that's really all the stars aligned. Mm. But almost every other company that I know, like there's always a time when they had to struggle, mm. where they had to like really figure like and like in survival mode, right? They're mm. worrying about cash running out. Yeah, you know, that's just the nature of doing business. A company. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. the na- nature of, of startups, right? So, so let's go back to that that operating experience. So, when you were in Singapore and you started, let's say the, the Singapore arm uh, of Twilio, like what what type of valleys uh, did you have to go to? Like, were there any dark times where you were like, oh man, this is never going to work. I mean, I, I did like five cities in five days, but no one wants me. No one wants, wants to sign the agreement. Like what were kind of like the, the challenges that, that, you, that you bumped into and how did you overcome that? Yeah, I, I won't put it as dark times, but like, you kind of have to do everything, right? You mm. kind of have to like open a bank account, set up entities, you know, hire people, like process paperwork for the employment pass, the, the visas. You have to do, you know, like, find the customers, you have to build a product. So like during the first few, uh, first six, 12 months, it was basically about the product because you need mm. to have a product before you yeah. can sell, right? So, so, so you like, hired locally, you hired local tech team to develop the product locally no. as well. So the tech team was all in San Francisco, which okay. was why I was doing this like one month, one month thing. Got it, got um, it. You know, the team was on, like we, uh, and plus there wasn't even the entity to pay me, right? I was paid out of the US, US office, yeah. right? Yeah. And so- yeah going back to the US and working with the team there and then you know having all sorts of like disputes with them on like what we need to build mm. in Asia to exactly. certain markets and, exactly right and and so like we were because the US market is very different from 
the Asia market. And so like a lot of the product needs to be like features that we need to build that doesn't even exist mm. in, in, in the US, right? Because it's mm. not part of the ecosystem, like stuff like that, uh, that we need to make sure that it's in place before we even go out and sell. Like we must have something that you can at least start to sell, right? It may mm. not work perfectly, but it's very similar to, you know, like building a whole new product, right? Yeah. But in this case, we are tweaking it. Uh, yeah. And at some level, we need to do some architectural changes. Um, so like, like I remember for a long time, we had a problem with calls going from Australia to US, right? Like the call quality was really bad. It was like entirely unusable. Um, partly because Australia to US from a latency point of view is also one of the furthest, mm. uh, especially Australia to the East Coast of the US, mm-hmm. right? And, and so like we spent a long time optimizing that, debugging that, testing it on the ground. Like I was doing calls from different parts just to test stuff. I was like sending messages, you know, like, you know, you kind of have to go through that, you know, baking yeah. and cooking the yeah. product yeah. before you can actually sell it. So the first year was basically doing a lot of that work, right? With the team, like we have an existing team, product engineering team in the US, right? Who knows the stack very well, right? What I need them to do is to adapt and make it work for Asia, for right? Asia. In some cases, yeah. it may require re-architecting the way we do things. So we need to distribute and build stuff on the ground and deploy boxes on the ground um, in, in the cloud and, and spin up new VMs and stuff. Like in other cases, we need to introduce like new features, right? That doesn't even exist, right? But at the end of the day, it's still one API. Yeah. Right. The lead, like, like we need to extract away the complexity of the underlying messy telecom. So it's still one API they connect into, but one API that doesn't just work in one country, but in like two hundred countries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that was what that was what I was trying to get them to do. And then in Asia, because it's such a different, such a very different market from US, it was like what we were working on. And then once we have that, then it's like selling again. Yeah. But then again, the sales motion was very different because Twilio in the US was selling mostly to developers. That was where Twilio found its success, right? Mm. With mm. what we call the, at that point in time, we call it the B2D business model, business to developer business model. Yeah. And so Twilio was very well known in the developer community, uh, even in Asia. So like wow. when we talk to developers in Asia, uh, they know us, right? They would know Twilio. When I talk to big companies, when I talk to like telecom companies, I tell them Twilio, like they have no idea what it is, right? They don't even know, like I have to go even like a step before that. I have to explain to them what cloud is. I don't explain to them what API is. Like nowadays, everybody knows yeah. that. Yeah. Right? But there yeah. was a time when like a lot of people didn't even know what that was and how to explain that, mm. right? And, mm. and so like what worked in the US, which was this B2D motion, business to developer motion, go to market motion, um, didn't work very well in Asia at all, right? Partly because you know a lot of that uh, the decision making power still reside in you know like the CIO and you know yeah. the the C level. Um, yeah. There's the IT division. You know, like they don't really have a lot of in house developers to begin with in Asia at that point in time. And then the tech startup scene was very very early. Like I remember visiting Grab. And at the time, Grab wasn't even in Singapore. They were like Grab Taxi in yeah, 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 yeah. KL, right? Yeah, and because and, yeah. and, 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 we were also working, Twilio was also working with, Twil- uh, with Uber, right? And, I was, and a lot of what I was doing was to light up the region for uh, existing customers in 
the US. Yeah. Right. That was mm. the lowest hanging fruit for mm. us mm-hmm. because you know they 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 had international requirements like the Uber and Airbnb of the world had international requirements. So if I can light up the product, I know I get usage, yeah. and I know. You know, they, they were also very uh, generous in sharing like, you know, how much usage they're looking at. So I get a sense of how to prioritize which markets to go after. Yeah. Right? And once we have that, then it made a lot of sense to go to like the Uber equivalent or the Airbnb equivalent in the local region. Yeah. Right? And so yeah. you know, I was looking to talk to Grab Taxi and Gojek and, you know, like at the time, you know, Grab, Grab wasn't even in Singapore. Right. And uh, yeah, that's early days, man. Yeah. So like, yeah, very, very different times, right? And so like the ecosystem was very nascent and developer, you know, like now developers are, you know, like the king of it's, the hill. It's a significant, <laughs> significant category. Yeah, man, but, that's it's yeah, crazy. But at that time, it's, it was very different. And yeah. then, so we had to change our go-to-market motion as well to be yeah. more like enterprise sales. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's, it's beautiful, man. I think uh, just having those two, only those two experiences alone like it really shows the different sides of the metal, right? Where maybe at one side, you, you look at 5,000 companies, you look at it really from a macroeconomic perspective and a macro view on, does this, does this make sense, yes or no? And then like with Twilio, it's like super micro, it's super on ground. It's like, you know, you do the paperwork, you set up all the accounts, you, you need to, you, need to uh, you know, optimize frameworks, you need to, you know, break down doors to, and keep and sell. But that's actually where the value is being created, right? It's actually mm. by, by lighting up countries. It's actually by usage. It's by new users. So I, I just love that, man. And, and, and now, I mean, just kind of like go towards the end of the conversation, right? I mean, uh, two final questions I have. I mean, you've been angel investing for a while. You know how it is to, to do growth stage. You know how it is to build businesses. But when you look at angel investors right now, like what would you say are, let's say, two or three main characteristics that you look at as an angel before investing? Like, like for me, you know, like what I found to be true, and I, and I don't know if this is true for everybody, but like, I look a lot at the team, yeah. right? And yeah. I, I think it's very, very hard to like quantify that, but you know, you kind of look at, you, and, and it's not as simple as like, okay, is this guy convincing? Is this guy confident? Is this guy experienced? Like, I don't think it's as simple as that. A lot of it is you're looking for energy. You're yeah. looking for, you know, insight. Um, somebody who can really learn very fast um, because I, I think, you know, especially in tech, things become obsolete so fast, right? And especially in any industry, if you truly want to change the industry, you really have to learn it in and out of it, but at the same time, not be encumbered by it, right? Yeah. And, and be able to move things above like what is, you know, how things are done previously. Mm. And, and so like you, you also need to be able to like see in the individual, in the founder, whether the founder is able to convince people to come mm. join him on the journey mm. and, you know, sell the vision, sell the mission, right? You, know, you want to hire missionaries, not mercenaries, right? And like, yeah. can you- heard that, I heard convince, that more often, by the way, yeah. Well, yeah, can you actually convince people to join you yeah. on the mission, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yes, you want like, and all that, you know, there's so many components to that. It's very hard to boil it down, boil it down to one, two, three attributes, but- mm. You know, like the team, when people talk about like the team, the founder, like that's it. That's but key. That's a very big part of it. Mm. And like how do, like, you know, basically my, my very simplistic answer to how do you know that's the right team? I like, I don't know. I like, if you've seen I like them. founders, <laughs> <laughs> I like you, them. Get a, you get a sense of like how, um, you know, maybe this is the team 
right? Yeah. Of course, you know, sometimes you may not know, yeah. but um, you may have your misses, but, yeah. you know, hopefully you refine your calibration and you yeah. get better at identifying the right team and yeah. as you make more bets and yeah. take more shots, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's one part of it. Um, and I think a lot of, and I think a lot of, that's a false dichotomy in the whole, like investing, you know, I don't know what knowledge that, you know, okay, you know, team is everything. But I feel like you cannot just, I think that's important, but you cannot also cannot disregard the, like, rest. the market. Yeah, the yeah. market part of yeah. it. Um, yeah. I'm actually less concerned about the product, especially, especially at the angel investing part. Like the product is maybe something like I like to look at, uh, but it will evolve, Yeah. right? Um, I actually like to see how they arrive at the product and the journey they took to get there yeah. and how much they have executed in that mm. time. Mm. The, the, the ability to execute is also something very important, right? Because yeah. some, like, you have to be able to move at a much faster cadence, right? As a startup, mm. because it's your one competitive advantage against the big company, mm. right? Mm. And so like, if people take a year to build something, you should take a month to build something. Yeah. Right. And, mm. and like how much a team is able to accomplish in a small amount of time in terms of building up the product. That's why I look at yeah. the actual product. I think it would evolve. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, like what's the thinking that they have yeah. in the product? How did they learn and evolve along that journey? That's why I look at when I look yeah. at the product. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, and then the last bit here is really around the market. Right. And a lot of times, like, you, you know, I think if we are all honest to ourselves, right, a lot of it is like you can control a lot of things, but you cannot control market timing. Like when mm. a market takes off, when the product, like this product is the right time for the market, mm. right? Mm. So like the best, the, the, uh, the, there's so many examples of this, right? If you look at in the 90s, there was a company called Webband. Webband didn't go anywhere. And mm. then in, in the 2000s, there was a company called, like in, in 2010s, you know, there's a company called Instacart. Mm. And then Instacart became very, very successful, mm-hmm. right? Especially after COVID, right? Mm. And so like the like companies that tr- try, but at the wrong time, you know, even if they are super stellar team, it's just not gone. It's just not gone flight, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, and it's very hard to control the timing. A lot of that is luck. But you also have to ask yourself like, is the condition right as an investor? Is the condition right for what they are working on? Yeah, to take off. It can be yeah. really good. They can like be super passionate about this market space, but is the environment there mm. going to take off? At some level, they are creating the environment, mm. right? They're trying to create the market condition, but the market it, it takes two hands to clap, right? The market yeah. at some level needs to be right for that to take off um, as well. Yeah. and so it's like a composite of all these different things um but you know if if i put to if i have to weigh them like the team is by and large like yeah the majority of it yeah no i, I love what you said there where you say like okay it's, it's more important on how the team like you know iterated and and this product to what it is now than what the product is now you know because with the product now could evolve next month. It could evolve in the coming six months. So it's more on how this team is capable of launching, iterating, optimizing kind of that whole process as a, as a tandem, like as a, as a oiled machine is much more important than, than the actual outcome. I think that's a really good one, actually. So it's more, uh, yeah. And then 
like to, to, to kind of like find or evolve that gut feeling that uh, calibration, like, like you mentioned is, I think that's, that's just putting in the hours, right? That's just talking to yeah. 5,000, 10,000, uh, 50,000 uh, entrepreneurs to feel uh, when, when that green light, that inner green light says, okay, this one is a, this one is a go. Yeah. 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 I, I don't think anything I say this like will be surprising to anybody, but, and usually like the question I get is, okay, so how do you like, you know, <laughs> determine yeah, like, this yeah. is the right part? I was like, and then like, that's where I struggle to like put it down in exact words. Yeah, like, okay, course. this is what you're looking for. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's like, like, I don't, I, I don't want to put it down to something as whimsical as like, okay, I like, I got like, he yeah. has the few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At some level, you kind of have to have that. You know, it's, it's, it's very hard to be so scientific and quantifier. Yeah, 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 you yeah, kind yeah. of have yeah. to really yeah. develop and calibrate, you know, like see enough and, and, you know, develop that sense of like what truly makes a founder, right? Yeah. Beautiful, man. I like that. All right, uh, Yao, we come to the last question of the interview. Um, and for this question, I want you to imagine a day far, far away into the future. It's so far away into the future that there is a search engine of which the name, the name I don't even know. Maybe it's going to be Google, but maybe it's going to be something else, right? And in that search engine, I'm going to type your name. I'm going to type in Yao. And the only result that this search engine gives me are three bullet points. Besides these three bullet points, your digital footprint online, Instagram, Facebook, social media, whatever you have, it's all gone. And these three bullet points, they represent the life lessons of Yao. So what would these three bullet points be? Curious and hungry. I think it's, it's uh, two of the, like one of the big bullet points for me. Never settle. Mm. And, you know, just be, always be humble. Mm. Love that, man. I, I don't think, okay, so, so none of those are like accomplishments because I think those are, you know, it comes and go, right? It's very, mm. uh, I think a lot of it's like, what is in it to us, to us that's mm. important to keep mm. us going. And, you know, those are the things I choose. I love that, man. I love that. Good reminders for, for all of us, for all of you listening to achieve. I think these are like, kind of like values, right? Values on how to actually like live your life. Uh, and, and, and I fully uh, concur. Uh, amazing. It's amazing, like, it's like I, I, I joke, like if, you know, if I die and I have a tombstone, right. Yeah. You know, like, like if somebody comes this on my tomb, I'll be quite happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, amazing, man. Hey, yeah. Uh, I want to appreciate you. I want to acknowledge you as well for the fact that, uh, you know, you're, you're trailblazing in your own atmosphere. And I always love, like I mentioned in the beginning as well, I just love like the, the journey that you've walked, you know, uh, which, I believe uh, will enable you to bring a lot of value to, to a lot of entrepreneurs. So uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to what you're going to invest in in the coming, uh, coming years ahead. What, you're gonna, what your big next move is going to be, uh, Yao. Uh, what your big next move is going to be. Uh, so I look forward to uh, seeing you in real life in Singapore, in Bali, or wherever we can meet. And um, we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. Definitely. I'm uh, looking forward to wakeboarding lessons. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We'll see you guys soon, man. Thank you so much for listening to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to subscribe over on Apple or Spotify. And I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a rating and review and let me know what your biggest takeaway is this episode. Thanks again, and I hope to see you in the next one.